Welcome to Making Sense of MarTech, an irregular set of conversations with some of the most interesting people in marketing, tech, and advertising. I'm Juan Mendoza. I write the MarTech Weekly Newsletter, a weekly email that covers the most important shifts in marketing technology. People who read it work in the world's largest media, tech, and advertising companies. You can read, listen, and sign up at themartechweekly.com. Today, I'm joined by Alex Murrell. He's the strategy director at Epoch in the UK. Epoch is a uh, brand agency, and he's worked with seven of the 10 top largest FMCG companies. He has a unique voice when it comes to understanding the role in which advertising and marketing agencies play in their clients' growth, culture, and society at large. Alex recently published a paper that was featured in TMW number 30. It was entitled, Adland is an Island. And in it, he unpacks some of the research into the dissonance between the demographics and the culture and the interests of agency people, the people who do the work for brands and the general population of people who actually receive that work and those marketing and advertising efforts. And so we're going to have a very interesting conversation. Uh, we unpack demographics, we un unpack the, the nature of agency work and the, the lives of people who actually do it. And so now I give you Alex Morrill. Hi, Juan. Thank you for having me. I should say that this is my first ever podcast. So I apologize to your editing team if I uh, give them a hard job to make me sound vaguely go coherent over the next hour or so. <laughs> Thanks for joining me. And great to have you, Alex. And, uh, and I was enthralled by your research. It is quite broad. Uh, but is also very detailed and and unpacking some of those differences between the general consumer, the, the customer, the person in society, and then also the life and the and the interests of agency people. And so, so I'm very interested in this conversation, and I'm looking forward to where it goes. Now, I'd like for you to give me a brief introduction to uh, yourself uh, and the work you do with Epoch, particularly in strategy, and how you went about. Um, doing your research and, and what was that sort of linchpin moment where you decided to go and chase down this work? I know that you write uh, two to three really great long form articles per year. What was that sort of linchpin moment? But let's just start with uh, your work with Epoch Design. Sure. So as you said, I'm strategy director at Epoch. We're a brand agency based in Bristol, which is a few hours west of London in the UK. We work primarily on three pillars, which is brand strategy, brand identity, and brand communications. And we do that for the world's biggest FMC, FMCG brands. At the heart of the agency is a belief, and that is that most people ignore brands because most brands ignore people, which is a sentiment that we stole from Bob Levinson, who was a kind of mid-centuries ad man at DDB. And we think the way to... To, and, and I should say that there's a lot of research to kind of back that up. M most people ignore brands. There was a study uh, a few years back from the Ehrenberg Bass Institutes that found that uh, only 40% of all brand communications were remembered. And of the 40 that were remembered, only 40% of those were correctly attributed. So people remembered them, but didn't remember what brand it was. And if you, if you combine those two findings, you come to the realization that only 16% of all brand communications are both remembered and correctly attributed. 
And at Epoch, we think the, the way to overcome that, the way to, to be part of the 16% and not the 84%, is to really put the consumer first, put them at the, the heart of everything, uh, to really go out of your way to understand them, their motivations, their need states, their triggers, their barriers, their attitudes, their interests, and to really build creative work on the back of uh, those findings. And I think that that, that opinion at uh, uh, an agency level has really informed the work that I do personally, the writing that I do. One of the first articles I wrote was called The Millennial Myth, and that was really trying to unpack the, the assumption that demographic cohorts like boomers or millennials or Gen Zs really are representative of the, those, the people who fall within those age brackets. To cut a long story short, they, they, they don't. I later had an article that was called Big Questions for Big Data, which was making the case that data can take you so far, but qualitative research is required to, to get an even deeper understanding. And then most recently, the, the article, which is called Adland is an Island, which uh, posits that those who work in our industry, in advertising, in marketing, in PR, in design, etc., are nothing like the consumers that they serve. They're nothing like the audiences that they are trying to reach or, or sway. So that that's hopefully gives you some idea of my background and my work and how it's kind of resulted in this, this piece of research. Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting uh, way to, to approach your research because as you mentioned, uh, Epoch Design, the agency that you work for, you've been working with them for about 10 years now. Working in strategy is really trying to put that consumer first and in the center of the work that you're doing and mm-hmm. meeting those consumer needs. Now that's um, saying that, and I work in an agency myself, I say that all the time as well. But what does that actually mean? <laughs> it is quite a bit of a catch-all to say, you know, we're data-driven as an agency. We, we want to understand our consumers and, and meet their needs as a priority. But what I found quite interesting, just opening up your research is one of the first quotes I read, and I might just read it out. It sure. says that the, the closer we get to our brands, the further we get away from our consumers. They do not pour over our positioning. They do not dwell on the details of our designs. They do not ponder our products, our prices or promotions. In fact, they do exactly the opposite. Now, uh, I love this notion, and this is something that I've uh, carried into my career. And I remember Mm -hmm. a moment where it became real for me when I was working and heading up marketing and advertising for a for a small technology startup, and I was actually a customer of that startup. And then I worked in my first marketing role, and I remember that this little quote that that sort of that I received through social media. I don't remember where, which said, "As soon as you work for a brand, you basically unlearn everything what it's like to be a consumer." Mm-hmm. And then I actually experienced that firsthand. Um, and I think this notion that, that that you sort of lead with in the in the research really speaks to this sort of existential problem that agencies have and also people who work brand side as well or client side. And so how did you arrive at that conclusion? When do you think these uh, dynamics sort of emerge in agency side? So particularly when you're approaching strategy, how does that view of like the closer we get to our brands, uh, the further away we actually get to consumers, how does it actually play out in agency life and work? Yeah, so I'll, I'll try and unpack the, the quote that you've pulled out a little bit, which is 
to summarize, the closer we get to our brands, the, the further we get from, from consumers. I think we spend, you know, seven, eight, nine, 10 hours a day thinking about the brands that we build. Many of us will be more than that. We spend every day thinking about their positioning, their personality. We read their brand books. We kind of review all the campaigns. We review the campaigns of competitors. Um, we think about pricing and so on and so forth. We spend all day kind of pouring over the details of the brands that we build. And yet this, this is completely opposite to how most consumers think and act. There's a there's a, Nielsen, a piece of Nielsen research, which is a few years old now, where, where they found the average shopper spends 15 seconds per category in, in a supermarket. They notice less than 40% of products. They compare prices between just two. They give attention to point, point of sale materials for only 1.6 seconds. And, and I use a bit of a rule of thumb, which is that each week, people spend about 30 minutes choosing 30 products from a selection of 30,000. And so, and so there's this, this huge disparity between the people in, within our industry and the, the people who aren't. We spend all day, day in, day out, week in, week out, month in, month out, thinking about those brands. And our audiences, our consumers spend next to no time, you know, that, that 1.6 seconds of shelf making their decision, choosing whether to stick or switch kind of largely autopilot behavior. And I think what led me down the journey of, of doing this piece of research and writing this article was the realization that that delta between those two mindsets just expands over time. The longer you spend on a brand, the more you become immersed in it, the more uh, clients you speak to, the more old previous communications you watch, the more you think about it, that, that delta is just expanding and you're becoming less and less like uh, your audience over time. And that's, that's quite interesting because, and we'll get further into the research as well, that it's not just a factor of just thinking about the, the work, you know, thinking about positioning the brands that you serve. It's not just that, but it's also the cultural and the, the interest differences as well. You cover something like eight different aspects in which agency folk are quite different uh, to the consumers that receive their messages. But I want to talk about one that sort of speaks, speaks to this, which is this sort of idea that, you know, like we agency people tend to think of themselves as free thinkers and like crazies and mavericks. And, and this is one of the, another quote uh, pulled out of the research, but, but when you actually look at the research, we're actually more insular as an industry and a profession than farming. And we actually need more conformity than the, than the military. So right. we have more of a conformist mindset than the military, but then, but then we're actually more insular than farming. And if you think of farming, it's probably one of the most insular professions out there geographically, right? You're out in the middle of nowhere, you know, and you have very low contact with people. And so why is this a problem? Why do we have this sort of almost like this bipolar view of ourselves that we think that we know our consumers, we think we know our brands and we're these free thinkers and these creative these creative people, but we're actually quite insular. Like where, why is this a problem for agencies? And, and how do you actually think this informs the work that we do as well? Yeah, I think there's two things at play here. The, the first is that we, we are not representative of our 
of our audiences. And I, and I try to break that down across, as you say, eight, eight or so different aspects, demographics, media use, attitudes, personality, etc. But the, there's, there's a second thing at play, which is that what, whilst we are not like our audiences, we, we are really similar to each other. Those within our industry are, are all very homogenous. And th- this piece of research and this quote came from Harry Guild, who's a strategist at BBH, uh, the ad agency. And he used 419 lifestyle statements from the research platform TGI. And he used those to create what he called a group cohesion score, which to to kind of simplify massively is a a single score that you can give to a audience that will tell you how homogenous or like-minded that group is. Now, when he applied it to those that worked in advertising and marketing, the score came to 5.8. And he then applied it to a number of other professions. And I should say that the higher the number, the more homogenous the group is. When he looked at those who work in law, that score was four. Those who work in IT, that score is 3.2. In human resources, it's 1.6. In sales, it's 1.2. And of all of the different professions he looked at, including, as you say, farming, the military, it was actually marketing and advertising that was the most like-minded, the most homogenous. Now, what that indicates to me is that we are largely a monoculture. We are, we are very like-minded, very similar in our attitudes and opinions and our lifestyles, and that there is very little variety in who we are, how we think, and how we behave. Now, why, why is this a problem was the, the second half of your question. And, and for me, it's a problem because a monoculture is the absolute antithesis of a creative culture. Creativity is about variety. It's about originality. It's about uniqueness, distinctiveness, surprise, unexpectedness. And I think the way to, to, to get to that, the way to get to creativity and originality, etc., is through the combination of different perspectives, of different ideas, of different experiences. And I think it's when those different backgrounds and perspectives and ideas come and clash and and maybe even form conflict between each other, that's when you get breakthroughs. That's when you get creative ideas that come out of nowhere. So so for me, this idea of those who work in our industry being a monoculture or being very homogenous is sort of at odds with the product that we promote, which is our creativity. And what's so, so uh, real about that is when you look at the demographics of, of what make up agency workforces, and I'm just going to read out a couple stats here is that, you know, only 20% of the advertising industry are over 45 years of age. And 31% of those are in senior leadership roles within agencies had a private education. You compare that with the sort of 7% of of the total population in the UK. So you have younger people, but then the people who are in senior positions tend to become from uh, a more privately educated, you would probably also assume they're a wealthier background as well. But then when you look at the UK median age, it's about 40 years old. So, mm. so you look at, okay, and particularly in the FMCG category in which you, that you spend a lot of time working in, um, you have this bulk of the audience that 
receiving messages that are designed and created by people who are much younger than them on average. Mm. And so, and then only that, there's only 1% of agency workforces that have been um, surveyed have disability representation as well. And so mm. there is a big conversation in, in Adland and, and in marketing generally. And I've, I've actually felt this person myself is that, you know, once you eat, you better have a really good retirement strategy because once you tick over 45, you probably don't have a job anymore. And, you know, there's this sort of form of ageism that says that, you know, that, that advertising culture sort of promotes and attracts young talent because they have the bold, big ideas and for what other reason. But, but I want to get your view on this because is there a, is there a factor of ageism happening in agencies is that really the right word to use? What are these forces that are causing, you know, drying, driving this sort of bottom heavy agency culture of a lot of young people and, and that lack of sort of age diversity? Yeah, in, in, this, in this kind of section of the article, I, I pulled on research from a report. It's titled, Who Are We?, which was produced by the Advertising Diversity Task Force. And, and it, it was the largest ever census of media and advertising employees. I think it drew on over two and a half thousand respondents from across 15 different agencies. And it, in terms of age specifically, they found that only 2% of respondents were over 55. Only 2%. And uh, wow. the UK as a whole, the portion of the workforce, the total workforce, which is over 50, is 29%. So, so we are quite a way off, kind of 15 times lower than the, than the uh, total workforce. And when I look at other industries, again, around, around 22% are over 50 in finance, around 28% are over 50 in medicine, around 30% are over 50 in science, mm. and around 35% are over 50 in law. And I think, I think there's two issues I'd like to kind of draw on here. The, the first is that in all of those fields that I'm comparing uh, advertising to, uh, experience is seen as a prerequisite for expertise. Mm. Older you are, the more experienced you are and the more expert you are. And you can see that in law and in science and in medicine, that age comes with trust and reliability. And I think the opposite is true in Adland. I think we are obsessed with youth. Mm. And as you, as you mentioned, I, I think we, we conflate youth with creativity and with, with free thinking and with an ability to kind of break the rules somewhat. I personally don't think these two should, should be in conflict with each other. I think you can have uh, young junior colleagues who, who are kind of unencumbered, but you can also have older uh, colleagues who have the benefits of experience and expertise, who have learnt, who have learnt their kind of the the kind of timeless laws of what we do, and those two things should work in harmony, just like they do in most other professions. And the other the other thing I'd like to highlight here is that. Whilst only 2% of our industry is over 55, the over, 50, the over 50s make up around half of all value sales in many categories. They make up around 60% of value sales in new car sales, 
They make up around 58% of spending in travel and tourism, 58% in hospitality and leisure, exactly half of all health and beauty sales, 49% of FMTG sales. And, and to take this a step further, Campaign Magazine did, did an audit of advertising and found that only 5% of ads were targeted at people that were over 35 years old. Mm. So again, you've got this huge disparity where the, the, the spending, the share of wallet is huge for people that are over 50, and yet they're massively underrepresented within our agencies and massively represented within our advertising. And I, th- I think that as a strategist, that kind of feels like a massively missed opportunity to me. Yeah. I, I think across countries, across brands, across agencies, we're leaving a huge amount of money on the table mm. because of this. So, so I think there's a, there's a kind of moral argument, but there's also a commercial argument to be made. And there's, there's, a, there's quite a big disadvantage as well, Alex, that you just mentioned mm. is that the share of wallet for people over 50 is, is actually quite massive, but there are mm. certain verticals in industries that would benefit the most from that. But then you don't see many agencies going around advertising that their workforce is disproportionately more than 45 years old, <laughs> do you? It, you know, that would be very novel and, and maybe one way for agencies to uh, differentiate themselves to say that we actually have a broad spectrum of viewpoints up and down the demographics, but also gender as well, which, which I find like this whole conversation about ageism is really poignant. And I think that it might be a lot of that what's causing that sort of bottom, bottom heavy focus on, on the youth might be due to the, the nature of like how people play the games in agencies. You know, there's most agencies have a pretty big drinking culture, big partying culture mm-hmm. to sort of connect with the brands you work with. There's a lot of events and functions. And as people get sort of a little bit later on life, tend to have families, family matters become more important. Flexibility becomes a more important and then agencies actually work more in the office. And that's one piece of research that came out in your work as well, that people who work in Adland disproportionately spend more time in the office, <laughs> more time commuting as well. And so those are sort of maybe drivers of people moving away from Adland and working on other things as, as they tend to age as well. So let's move on to attitudes. This is another sector in your research. And when you talk about there's the really strong sort of liberal leaning in agencies. So a few stats that came out, 92% of people who work in agencies of of those surveyed, obviously, voted to remain in the 2016 UK referendum. So that's sort of the Brexit vote for those of you at home. And then when it comes to political identification, about there's about two times, two two X, double uh, the mainstream population identifies left wing. And more than double hold that notion that having a high status job and earning lots of money are actually really important to them. And so there is this, there's this sort of cultural bubble where you have people who have a really high value placed on having high status and earning and creating a lot of wealth, mm. but then a very sort of liberal left, left leaning view which sort of skews towards uh, more poverty, uh, poverty and social justice type activities. And, you know, I guess this sort of talks to the thesis of, of your article that Adland mm. is kind of an island in itself. <laughs> you know, it's got its own norms, you could almost say. And there's a lot of homogeny of the people who work within uh, those industries. And so, so what do you think are some of the causes of this sort of ideological misalignment with sort of mainstream culture? Where did that kind of come from? And what sort of impact does it have um, in agency work? 
Um, a, bit, a big part of the research in this chapter comes from three reports that were published by Reach Solutions and Andrew Tenzer and his team. team. And I'd really recommend that if you, if you can and you have the time to find those reports and, and to give them a read, because in honesty, they, they were the one of the biggest um, influences over this piece of research and one of the big catalysts for me to, to start pulling it together. Across those three reports, they surveyed seven and a half thousand British consumers and then compared those results to 700 industry professionals. And there's a, there's a huge amount of really interesting findings around the moral foundations and how they differ around political leaning and how that differs around what we aspire to and the, the, the differences between the industry and the broader population there. When it comes to attitudes, there's two things that really leapt out to me. One is this desire for financial success. And the other is for this status, this, this fame. And I, I think these two things are at least somewhat predictable. You think about our jobs and ultimately our jobs are to help our clients be commercially successful, to grow their share, um, and ultimately, they're quite. It's a, it's a competitive environment. We're, we're growing at the expense of others by stealing share, and so the desire to be financially successful sort of makes some some sense to me, as as this is ultimately our goal for our clients. So it, it sort of rings true that that would bleed in and and become a goal for ourselves. Mm. The second piece, which is the desire to have high status or fame. I think rings true in advertising as well, because a big part of what we're trying to do with brands is to is to raise their profile, to make them somewhat famous, to make people aware of them, to get attention, to get spoken about. And so again, I think the desires uh, or what we're uh, trying to achieve for our brands to a certain extent rubs off onto ourselves that just as we want to make our our brands famous we also kind of want to become famous ourselves to a certain extent i think i think a big problem with this is that when we look at the general public the broader population they have a far they have far less desire in both of these areas yeah far fewer aim for financial success and aim for kind of broader successes like happiness that kind mm. of thing far fewer aim for fame and notoriety and so again, we come back to this idea that there's there's just a gulf between the industry and the audience. There's this disparity, this delta between us. And I, I kind of close part of the article by saying that how how can we connect with consumers when we have so little in common? How can we change their behaviour when we don't understand it in the first place? And I think this kind of... You, you can start to build this story that whether it's the attitudes, whether it's the demographics, whether it's the amount of time we spend uh, thinking about brands, that uh, we, we are just two different species. As you say, we, are, we, uh, we exist on an island completely divorced from the mainstream and completely divorced from the general public. And there's this, this vicious loop that, that I've been thinking about, Alex, that, you know, that, that a lot of agency and marketing agency culture is quite homogenous ideologically and, and across interest areas. And the reason for that is because it's self-reinforcing. Agencies have a certain culture they uphold 
uh, those people participate in the culture that informs their own worldview and their outlook on life, particularly myself personally, some of my interests have been formed by my colleagues, with my colleagues working in agencies. So that self-reinforcing aspect also creates homogeneity because it's actually really hard to connect with a plumber that lives down the road or <laughs> your friend who's an electrician or somebody who works in law because it's actually a very, very different culture and a very different set of interests. And, and I would actually say that advertising culture, to your point, where you know, there is a big focus on reaching audiences and, and fame and making our, our brands sort of famous and really successful with consumers actually rubs off on us and, and impacts our own interests as well, creates its own self sort of self-reinforcing, self-sustaining culture where it actually becomes harder and harder even just to connect with others that, that potentially are your friends or your family as well. I try to explain what I do <laughs> with some of my family and they have no idea <laughs> that I could be talking gibberish. I could literally be talking a different language at times. And so, and so it's actually, it's, I would actually say that at this point that it's not actually anybody's fault. I would actually say that it's more just a byproduct of culture and collectively what those cultures value that creates a sort of self-reinforcing environment. But I want to switch gears here a little bit. Oh, sorry, go on, go on, Alex. No, I was just going to, just going to concur. I think, I think that the idea of the the self-reinforcing loop or the virtual cycle or the downward spiral, however you, however you want to phrase it, I, I, I absolutely agree with. And I think that that plays to this idea of that ever-expanding gap, that it, it's, it's not just that we are different or separate from the mainstream, it's that, it's that over time, those two worlds diverge from each other. Yeah. And, and I think when we dig into uh, the research area that looks at our media consumption, this becomes even more significant. And so just a couple stats here, 92% of agency people use YouTube, 90% of Facebook, 90% of those people use, use Facebook in the last three months compared to the industry population, which sits about 60%. And also adding to that, Industry professionals are 96% more likely to use Snapchat in the last seven days, 140% more likely to use Instagram, and 285% more likely to have used WhatsApp. Now, when it comes to strategy and tactics, like things like channel selection and media strategy, this sort of view that we, and what the research tells us is that uh, people who work at agencies consume media far more but they're actually on social media networks far more than the average consumer will ever be. I think there's another stat and you can confirm this where, you know, we have a huge, huge, I think it's like four times or something like that. A huge interest in video on demand services like Netflix and streaming. Now we consume media agency. People consume media far more. And we also tend to use different devices than the average consumer out there. What ways in what ways does this actually impact our strategies when we actually provide recommendations to clients that you should use this channel or that channel? Do you think there's a lot of bias there? How can we deal with some of that, particularly from our own use of media and channels as well? Mm. I think I think this question overlaps with our previous one on age and the idea that the industry is uh, very skewed towards the young because I, I think it is they go hand in hand, right? The, the, the younger the industry, the more likely they are to lean, lean into new technologies or new media types. And the research here is, is, is pretty robust. I think there's, uh, I think I quote three different studies from Thinkbox, Think TV, 
and Ipsos Mori that covers the UK, Australia and Canada. And it, it seems that whatever country, whatever research agency, the, the research always comes to the same conclusion, which is that our, those who work in our industry are far more open to new technologies and new media types than broader populations. Mm. And I, I think this puts a huge skew on the work. It, it, it makes our work far more biased towards those new technology platforms and towards those new media types. And, and I, th I think it also makes us biased against traditional media. You know, for how many years have we been he hearing that TV is dead, for example? And um, <laughs> it, it, it is in gradual structural decline. Year on year, there is there is a decrease in viewership across, across most ages. But as we stand today, it is still a significant reach media mm. channel. And so we can make the, we can make the argument that it is slowly dying, but today it is not dead. And I think our propensity to lean on uh, the bleeding edge of technology makes us far more likely to, to try and activate on the new and shiny, you know, the TikToks and the augmented reality and I don't know, Clubhouse or blockchain or something, and and actually causes us to ignore some traditional channels which still hold a huge amount of sway. Uh, I, I think to try and summarize, we, we, we sort of end up creating things that we're interested in and things that, uh, rather than things that our audience are interested in. And I, th I think that maybe the, the desire to create a breakthrough idea has been eclipsed by a desire to use a breakthrough technology or something something which is technologically new rather than an, an idea which is new and captivating yeah i think you're right there's a lot of overlaps between the the demographics and particularly the age of skewing agencies and the technology and media consumption you know that you probably can overlap if, you know if you segment your research out and look at the the population of younger people say sort of 16 to 30 and what their use of media and, and devices are you could probably say that there's probably a lot of affinities there with people who work in Adland, but but yeah there's you can't really replace the novelty of technology with a novelty of an idea because the novelty of an idea can can really it can be channel agnostic there's no dependencies there on the actual underlying technology that would that would power it and that's something i would say to my clients a lot of the time they they would they would come to me and say hey we need a we need a channel we need a channel strategy for this or that and i would say well you know what's the what's the underlying what's the what's the core idea you're actually trying to pursue here because if you depend you know, have a high dependency on one channel and you're building a strategy around that it's not really a strategy it's just a bundle of tactics and so I think that just that that lens on uh, you know how how much bias is there in the strategies that we that we sort of construct based on the media we consume and there's really no escaping it really, but we can also be aware of things like you know the value of TVC you know huge amount of value there also print advertising you know there's a reason why most luxury retailers will continue to advertise in in health magazines you know it's uh, because it's still an extremely viable channel and one funny story actually on this is I just came off a holiday and. And I, I haven't been using my phone and my laptop. It's all been packed away. So I sit on the couch and I'm bored. I have nothing to do. So I turn the TV on and the only thing available is ABC primetime television, just free to air TV. And I'm sitting there and I'm watching these sort of TV shows, you know, talk shows and things like that. I'm like, do people watch this stuff? And I can't even remember a time when I, I would actually watch the, <laughs> watch just regular primetime TV. And I'm like, 
well, actually, like millions of people watch this stuff. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, but because I've, I'm in a, you know, probably a symptom and a victim of the sort of agency cultures where most of my media consumption is digital channels and, and in streaming services where I get to choose what I want to watch, which actually creates a lot of distance between what the majority of, of consumers are actually doing when it comes to what they're watching and being entertained by. So that's really great research. But, but I'd like to, I'd like to, yep, yeah, go on, Alex. I should just say that there's there's nothing wrong with those channels or you know digital channels, the new channels. There's there's absolutely nothing wrong with doing that. I, I would just say, base your channel selection on an understanding of your audience, right? If 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 those uh, new if you're targeting a younger audience and the, the the newer medias or the or the advanced technology, if that really resonates with them, then that's fine. But but what whatever your channel selection is, it should just just be based on the objective understanding of the audience. And, that, and that's right. Like the nap, mapping the needs of, of your audience, but also what, where would be the best place to reach them and keeping yeah, a definitely. sort of lateral view on that is actually really important when it comes to strategy. You know, sometimes yeah. we can sort of box ourselves into a corner or say something like, oh, we should go, we should go on TikTok because everyone's on there. <laughs> you, know, uh, you kind of box yourself into a corner and it's really hard to get out of that a lot of the times where you, you take a broad view, a lateral view. It's like, okay, let's actually start with where our audience is primarily at. It's the best way to reach them through whichever purchase phase they're in. You know, it's a great way to look at it. And it's a great way, just leading into our last question here about, you know, what are some of the concrete ways you think agencies can start uh, pushing into some of the recommendations this research puts forward? So things like, you know, increasing the diversity of your staff, not just by, by race or by gender, but also by age, looking at how you can sort of bridge that gap or sort of reduce that that void between you and your consumer by you know things like gathering more research or looking at different ways in which other in other industries go about understanding their consumers what would be some of the ways that you think agencies can start incorporating some of the more diversity and, and understanding their consumers at this sort of level where can they start I think there's three things that we can do the, the first as you say is that we should absolutely have uh greater diversity within our agencies. Some of the findings that we've read out today are, are pr pretty damning. You know, as the only 1% of our workforce being disabled, only 2% being over 55, that kind of thing. I think we absolutely need to do that. I think that there is a moral argument again to do that, that it's the right thing to do. I think there's a commercial argument. I think McKinsey have found in the past that more diverse companies tend to grow uh, faster than less diverse companies yeah. um, and I also think there's a creative argument for that as, as I said earlier I think the the greater the variety of, of opinions and backgrounds and perspectives we have within our agencies the the more dynamic the creative ideas are going to be that come out of them so that's the first one I do however think that that isn't enough I think that by, we, we can absolutely have more diverse agencies and we should do, but we still fall into the trap where everyone within our agencies is thinking about brands all day, every day and our consumers aren't. So that there will still be this, this gap between us and our audience. And I think that leads on to the second point, which is that I think we, we need to develop a greater capacity for empathy, for empathizing with the audiences that we're seeking to sway. Some of the Reach Solutions work that I referenced earlier has a, a great 
section on empathy. I, I think the report's called The Empathy Delusion. And they found that those working in our industry have no greater capacity for empathy than the average person. You know, so we like to think of ourselves as these great empathizers uh, or empaths, and that we have this unique ability to connect with consumers and to turn those into creative ideas. The truth is that we don't, that we are, we are regular people with job titles, essentially. And I, I think that that needs to change. So we need to be more diverse and we also need to be able to connect with people that aren't in our industry in a much stronger way. And the third thing I think is that we need to strive for a, a slightly greater degree of objectivity. I think you need to assume ignorance about an audience when uh, working on a project. Yeah. And, and then from that kind of base of assuming that you don't know anything, you need to build up from there. And one thing that we do at Epoch is we really try to prioritize primary research. I think there's no greater way of feeling an audience than to actually do the research yourself. To, to not just work with supplied research or bought in research from third parties, but to actually do it yourself. And we also try and build in a, a fairly significant amount of qualitative research, not, not necessarily at the expense of quants and data, mm -hmm. but for those two things to work hand in hand. And, and again, I, I think that as a strategist, there's no better way to really feel an audience and to really try and understand an audience than to go out and speak with them, meet them, be in the same pubs and bars and restaurants as them, to spend time with them, either speaking to them or, or simply observing them. So that there, there be my three kind of three things that I think Adelan can, can kind of build on more diversity within our agencies, improve our capacity for empathy and less intuition and more objectivity. And uh, Alex, you, you mentioned just before our, we started recording that you actually did a lot of this research yourself. Tell me a bit about how you actually approached um, a bunch of pub owners, I think it was. Were, were you in Bristol walking through a few pubs and then you, you had an insight that you really couldn't get anywhere else? Yeah, exactly that. We, we were briefed by a, a drinks brand to develop a what they call an on-premise toolkit so this this is a, a campaign that will come to life in pubs and bars and hotels restaurants cafes that kind of thing for promotional materials essentially mm. and the first thing i did was just spend half a day walking around the local pubs and bars and restaurants and cafes that were local to my office in bristol and in across that four hours we didn't find one piece of branded point of consumption materials, not, not one piece. And we spoke to the bar staff, we spoke to the venue owners and the bar managers, and all of them said the same thing. Uh, and that is that they themselves have a brand, that their pub or bar is a brand, even if it's independent and not, not a chain, that they have a, an environment that they are, that they have curated and continue to curate and that they are inundated with these promotional materials from every spirits brand and every mixer brand and every soft drinks brand and every juice brand <laughs> and they don't put any of it out because it dilutes their own brand mm. and so our, our response and this is going back four or five years now but our response to the client at that time 
was that we we can do this for you but we we honestly believe that it's going to end up in storerooms at the you know in the back of pubs and things like that and this is an example i don't i don't think it's um you know necessarily a kind of breakthrough insight into human mm. behavior or anything, but it's just, it's just a truth that we uncovered from the from that's so very pertinent to that job which was mm. that by by getting out by getting out from our desks by doing a bit of primary by doing a bit of qual from speaking to people we just uncovered that the whole brief was somewhat flawed the whole the, even the problem of the brief let alone the proposition or the solution was somewhat flawed and yeah. and you know this wasn't expensive research this was we didn't um, <laughs> we didn't hire a kind of bespoke consultancy to do this or anything it was yeah. literally just go, going out and speaking to people yeah. to uncover a truth that ended up changing the whole the whole direction of that brief mm. and and i think that's really great thing to take away as well is that whether it comes from you know the, the staff that you employ from the way you approach your strategy your channel selection you know all the different things that agencies need to think about constantly you know sometimes we can really overcomplicate it you know sometimes it just takes one really great strategist to walk through a pub and ask some really curious questions to actually get to a really good insight to challenge a brief you know, it doesn't, you don't need to hire a bespoke consulting agency to go and run a population test, you know, <laughs> like sometimes it does take, it does, it really doesn't take um, a lot of com uh, complexity to get to some of the heart of those insights. But one thing I would, I would add is that I think increasingly, particularly in sort of the tech world, you're seeing more, more companies hire anthropologists. So a cultural anthropologist is somebody who would study history and culture and sort of derive insights and, and, um, and recommendations based on their research. So cultural anthropologists is sort of part of the social sciences, but also, you know, people who are doing behavioral science and uh, cognitive science as well to add that sort of la layer of rigor to research and mm -hmm. add that sort of function of primary research that you mentioned as well. So what are your, what are your views on that? Is that something that you know, like particularly ad agencies, creative agencies should be looking at, or it, would it actually make the work more complicated or more complex to get to those insights? I think that for me, human understanding or audience understanding is so central to strategy within creative agencies and yeah. within ad agencies and brand agencies that any experience or background that can further those ends can only be a benefit in my eyes as an, as an example one of the the first strategists that i hired into my team at epoch came from a background of documentary photography and in his interview he's a great strategist for us now called joshua and in his interview he spoke about how every picture he took was trying to capture a, a human story and if it didn't do that it wasn't a su successful photograph for him and that really spoke to me because that was kind of, that was demonstrating empathy. That was dem demonstrating the primary research that I've spoken about is demonstrating getting out from the desk of doing mm. qualitative research of, of documenting it and interpreting it and, and trying to spin a story from that research. His story was in photographs and, and our, as an agency, our stories is, is, is in 
the stories that brands tell. But absolutely, whether it's anthropology, whether it's journalism, whether it's documentary photography, I think any background, any skill set which which encourages astute observation and interpretation of of um, the human condition is can only be a good thing. Mm, yeah, and I, I agree with that. Well, Alex, thank you for joining me on Making Sense of Martech. Uh, we've had a very insightful uh, and very intriguing conversation on the state of Adland. And I think we can both agree that it is definitely an island, a big island. And there's probably a lot of parties happening on that island, but I think it definitely is. And, and you really helped us unpack some of the really, uh, really important research into uh, the demographics and the way that agency people think and their interests, but also some really concrete ways that a lot of agencies can actually move forward as well. And I would also say that brands can take a lot of learnings from this, from this research and apply it to their practice. And so thank you for joining me. Now, I'd like to throw to you, Alex, and let us know where we can find you on the internet. Of course. Well, first of all, thank you for having me and thank you for making my first podcast appearance so so easy. <laughs> In terms of where you can find me, probably the best place to go is, is the website, which is just alexmorale.co.uk. And I'm sure a link will be in the show notes to the article itself. Uh, everything else you can you can find there, my, my Twitter handle, my LinkedIn, et cetera, can all be found on the website. So yeah, probably the website's the best place to go to. Great. Well, thank you for joining me. Thank you so much.